BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. It's Friday, April 6th, 2018, and you're listening to Inquiring Minds. I'm Andre Viscontis. And I'm Kishore Hardy. If you're wondering what we're doing, populating your feed on a Friday, it's because we're launching a new segment. It's a mini-sode that will come out every Friday, where Kishore and I talk about our favorite stories from science in the news. I'm excited for the return of this segment. So many people have asked it. We used to do it every week. But then we we just started running out of time and want to focus on the interviews. I'm glad we're bringing it back for a quick look at all the science that's happening in the world condensed into 10 minutes. No pressure, Andre. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you know, in our conversation with Rhett Butler about conservation, we talked about how eating beef is actually really bad for the environment that the whole cattle industry can, uh, you know, really create problems, especially for climate change and global warming. And so I think a lot of people think that, okay, well, I'm gonna, you know, not eat as much or any beef products, but fish is okay, right? Well, I mean, as long as we're talking about sustainably farmed fish, sure. So that's what we think, except a new study has come out recently showing that shrimp and lobster fishing is surprisingly bad for the environment. And it's because when you're trailing those kinds of nets that they need, or when you're going out and dropping lobster traps and having to pick them up, those boats actually use a lot of fuel, especially diesel fuel. And so it's actually pretty bad for the environment. It's not as bad as cattle, but it actually accounts for a significant portion of the energy use in the entire fishery industry. So just like we're seeing growth in beef consumption amongst countries that have emerging markets. Are we seeing the same when it comes to shrimp and lobster? Yeah, well, the last time they did, you know, the study that came out, I think it talked about data from um, a couple of years ago, they didn't have the most recent numbers, uh, but they projected that things would just continue to increase uh, as demand across the world for shrimp and lobster increases. And as you know, you can create these sustainable fisheries. Um, But what people don't realize, again, is that that, you know, the way that we get the fish out of the ocean, the seafood out of the ocean is actually pretty problematic. So the authors of the study suggest that the best, most sort of ecologically friendly, friendly towards climate change, fuel efficient fishes to eat are things like sardines and anchovies. Yuck. And herring. Yuck. <laughs> Not yuck. Not if you're Eastern European like me. There's nothing like a pickled herring. Oh, compare that to shrimp and lobster. Wow. I guess what, like, this will be an interesting decade for us, I think, when it comes to food, because we're already starting to see meat replacements come on the market for beef, like Impossible Foods. I know there's a startup here in the Bay Area called Finless Foods that's making a replacement shrimp. So it seems like more than ever, we need to really start examining what's on our plate. 
My story this week doesn't have a happy ending, I'm afraid to say. I want to talk to you about the James Webb Telescope, which was the successor to the Hubble Telescope. It was conceived of way back in the 1970s. And here's the basics of the James Webb Telescope. Most of the telescopes we have view things through the visible spectrum. And that's partially because our atmosphere basically blocks infrared light. It's opaque to infrared light. And even space-based telescopes have a hard time seeing it because of like some of the optical demands of being able to visualize in the infrared spectrum. James Webb was specifically designed to see in the infrared spectrum, which will allow us to see planets and debris clusters, which have something called redshift. You've probably heard of redshift mm-hmm. in astronomy. And so being able to see in that spectrum will give us whole hordes of new information on if life is potentially sustainable on certain planets, uh, the collisions of of, uh, certain planetary objects, there's numerous things beyond that. What I find fascinating about James Webb is now is what it was intended to be and what it's become now, because it is the poster child for government excess when it comes to science. While it was conceived of in the 1970s, it was really greenlit in the 2000s, and initially scheduled for launch sometime in like the 2012, 2013, 2014 window. NASA last week brought together a press conference that said it's being delayed now to 2020. And its price tag has ballooned to over $8 billion. $8 billion for one telescope. Wait, can't President Trump make a deal? <laughs> I think this is, I mean, on some level, it's sort of like what? That is an enormous amount of money. Hubble in today's dollars is a bit like $4 billion project. So it's not sort of factors of magnitude beyond that. But the problem is, is that because this project has been historically mismanaged when it came to budget and it's, you know, years, almost approaching a decade delayed, Congress has applied a lot of scrutiny to the budget around this. And said a couple years ago that the cap is $8 billion, no more money. And NASA is about to go over that. And this has ramifications in, in a couple ways. One is to the project itself. Project is, I mean, I don't know how you cancel an $8 billion project, but that's where we're at is we're at this point where they are, there's legitimate discussion about eliminating funding for for this project well can't you just like take off the moon roof or some other accessory <laughs> you cannot and i'll tell you like some of the intricate details of how this works is incredible it basically has to have it's these gold coated beryllium hexagonal structures and because our limitations of the kind of spacecraft that needs to launch this thing and where it needs to be launched it's, it's basically going to be in orbit nine hundred thousand miles from the earth in the l2 orbit so it's beyond the moon Because of all that, it needs to have this design that unfolds. So these 18 hexagons of a gold-plated beryllium are unfurling all at once. And it has a sun shield because to see in infrared, you need near perfect absolute zero conditions. And like the sun will interfere with its ability to see in the infrared and blah, blah. I can keep going and going. This is an amazing technological achievement. But when you get all of that, you get cost too. And when you get timelines mismanaged and and aggressive people in place saying, like, our launch window is here, mistakes happen. And the solar shield tore. Oops. Uh, and that's what NASA announced. 
And that's really where we are now, that they're saying 2020, but no one feels that 2020 is an accurate estimate of when this will go up either. This not only jeopardizes a James Webb, it jeopardizes the next one. The next one's already being planned. It's called the W first. That project is basically in a whole lot of trouble now just because of what's happening here. It also, just because of how science is funded in this country, the National Academies does a tenure review of major priorities in science funding. Well, James Webb was supposed to be off the ledger for the next tenure review, but now it's still there. So that's going to impact the rest of science and priorities for science funding here in the U.S. So does this leave room for Elon Musk to uh, launch some kind of a telescope? Uh, I think Elon Musk should just stick to sending Teslas to space. This, like, While SpaceX is a huge achievement, the level of intricacies involved here are beyond the imagination. Well, let me tell you a little bit about some good news. So when's the last time that Wendy, your wife, was, was, uh, had the opportunity to soak in a spa? Not too long ago. I would say like a month or two ago. Okay, that's pretty good. And she was, well she... earned too, based on my behavior. <laughs> she, <laughs> she, uh, she came back a little less stressed? A little bit, yeah. Well, apparently she's not alone. And in particular, uh, I want to tell you about a troop of monkeys that live in uh, the northernmost climate for non-human primates in Japan. And they found some hot springs. And the female monkeys in the troop uh, like to soak themselves in these hot springs. And it's become quite the tourist attraction. <laughs> a, a monkey hot spring is it's a, a tourist hot attraction? Spring. Yep. Uh, the, the Japanese authorities have actually closed that particular hot spring to uh, human primates. Uh, so only the non-human primates get access to it uh, for hygiene reasons. Um, but apparently when it gets really cold, uh, these monkeys go and they spend a little time at the spa. And it turns out the monkeys that spend the most time in the spa are sort of like the alpha females. Uh, they're the females in the troop that are uh, the highest in, in the sort of social hierarchy. And the theory is that, and, and actually they measured levels of stress in those monkeys, and they were the most stressed, <laughs> and they got the most benefit from sitting in the hot springs. Uh, so it's There's like, a measurable <laughs> benefit of them chilling out? Yep. Apparently, even non-human primates uh, enjoy relaxing at the spa. You know, I saw a picture on Reddit the other day of capybaras in... Brazil, I believe, also chilling in a hot spring. And I was like, oh, that's not a bad life. Yeah. So the more stressed the monkeys are, the more time they get to spend in the spa. So I think that's well, something that we can all learn from. Let me ask you this. Would you trade positions with the monkey? Less uh, responsibility, same pool, spa treatment. Oh, no, no, no. I think it would be like, you know, the more stressed I am, the more time I get to spend at the spa. No, I don't think that's how life works at all. Oh, <laughs> well, in any case, uh, if you're around uh, Nagano in Japan, you can go check out these monkeys. Uh, they're really cute snow monkeys, uh, you know, chilling in the hot springs. So that's it for this episode. Uh, we hope you enjoy our mini-sode Science in the News segment on Fridays. Um, we want to thank you for joining us for this installment. And you can visit our website at inquiring.show. You can support us at patreon.com slash inquiringminds. And if you have some science in the news that you'd like to share with us, please do email us at contact at inquiring.show. We'd be more than happy to cover it. Thanks for joining us on this mini-sode. We have a new interview on quantum physics dropping on Monday with Adam Becker. We'll see you then. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. 
It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.